0: Nobody owns me though. Hey. How you doing, baby? Mm -hmm. That's because I own my own company and my company sells a product that's better than the competition at a price that's lower than the competition. Well, what we selling here, Frank? Hello and welcome welcome and hello this is wait you haven't seen it's a show where we talk about movies specifically we talk about a movie at least one of us has never seen before I'm your host Travis aka TV's Travis this is episode number 233 and our movie this week is 2007's American Gangster joining me to talk about it he'd never seen it before from horseshoes and hand grenades and those were the days it's Stephen. Stephen, how you doing
1: well hello TV's Travis thank you for having me this evening Boy, oh, boy, am I excited to talk about this movie. Uh, awesome. I, I, I just, you know what? We haven't talked in a while, and it's just good to see <laughs> you, mainly. That's the thing.
0: Yeah, it's been, what, two weeks, I think. Uh, it's since been we a hot talked. minute, But yeah. in that, it's been a long two weeks because you were at Dragon Con in the middle of those two weeks. and Yeah. Uh, all sorts of stuff yeah. has happened. So, American Gangster, it,
1: uh, mm-hmm.
0: directed by Ridley Scott, starring Denzel Washington, Russell Crowe. Um, Came out in 2007. What, if any, history did you have with this movie?
1: I remember seeing the trailer of this movie, and like many movies, I go, that looks awesome, and I need to see it. And then it came, and it went, and I did not get the <laughs> opportunity. And and I don't know why I never went back. It's just, it's you know me. We've talked about this a bunch of times. Like A movie gets past the zeitgeist, and then mm-hmm. I'm like, I should... That And it, it takes someone physically sitting me down in front of the TV and going, you're watching this today. <laughs> I mean, it took me like 20 years to watch Fargo for crying out loud. Like, I need someone to make me do it. Uh, and that's, that's what happened here. I, we, you you said, I need a guest. I said, here's 850 movies I haven't seen. And we picked one. And this is where we are. But yeah, I, I, I love Denzel. I love Russell Crowe. I love Ridley Scott. I love everybody i didn't know was in this movie that ended up being in this movie i have right? no idea what right. yeah
0: well you know yeah. it happens i i did the same thing as you when the trailer hit i was like ooh, i'm gonna I'm a see that one and uh i did i actually went and saw this in the theater and i adored it uh as soon as i saw it in the theater i'm a big ridley scott fan always have been so that that was like all right they're selling point number one denzel all right you, you had me at ridley scott but great denzel washington Russell Crowe working with Ridley Scott again, well, you just you you keep giving me more reasons to see this movie. And, (laughs) and then I go and I see it. And it's just like, I came out of the theater. I'm like, first of all, didn't feel like a two and a half hour, you know, movie at all. And secondly, I was like, that was amazing. I want to watch it again. Um, I ended up not seeing it again in the theater, but I I adored this movie. So it was kind of, for me, it was real fun to revisit. And like you, I forgot how many other recognizable faces pop up in this thing. I mean, yeah, this is a cast. So Denzel and Russell Crowe, big names, and you know you're going to get good performances out of them because even in like less than great movies that either one of them have been in, which is pretty rare for these two, but they never have a bad performance. You never... Like even a bad Russell Crowe performance, he's still bringing something to it, and he's he's trying. Denzel is Denzel; that guy just oozes cool.
1: Yeah, you know, and let, just, let's not forget this isn't the first time these two have danced. That's uh, because true. you want to talk about bad performances or bad movies? <laughs> Virtuosity uh, was the first time these two were together, and yeah. though I have seen that movie, Travis, and <laughs> loved the music out of it when I did see it. It is not a good film. It is subjectively no. bad, uh, but these two, they never phone it in anything they're ever in. Like they're they are selling it.
0: <laughs> I just, if, if I could have 1% of the swagger that Denzel Washington brings to a film role, just 1% yeah. of it, like he just, he, there's nothing he does that you're just not like, that is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And then he can turn around, he can flip right around and stare a dagger through you, where you just feel like you're about three inches tall. I mean, yeah, it, it's amazing. He,
1: has, he and he and Samuel L. Jackson are on a similar plane, but Denzel takes the drama side of that like way higher. Like the the actual now, I'm not knocking Samuel L. Jackson's acting prowess; they're both phenomenal. But there's mm-hmm. something about Denzel, the way he carries himself, but then his aggression. Just it scares you. Like I'm used to Samuel Jackson staring at me. Like all I can Mm -hmm. think about is that Black Snake Moan gif where he's just like (laughs) staring. Like I'm afraid, but Denzel, I'm like more afraid because I've seen him gentle. You know what I mean? Like
0: you have, and they both can yell really well. Now, no one yells like Sam Jackson. Like he's on a different. He's playing a different game. Him and Gene Hackman are like. (laughs) One in one A when it comes to actors that can yell, Denzel can do that. But the thing that makes Denzel when he goes angry scary is that he gets quiet. When he gets when he shuts down and gives you those daggers, and you're just like, "Please don't hurt me. Please, please don't just leave me in a body bag. You know, on the side of the road. It's
1: yeah, it's amazing. Hurt me, me thick and totally. Not like don't do little (laughs) stuff. Just end it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and and to this movie's credit. They give you that right off the bat. Like the first thing you see is him uh, light a cigar and then throw the match on a guy covered in gasoline and just light him on fire and empty a revolver into him. And that's the opening seat, the opening shot of the movie. I was like, "Whoa!" I I had forgotten about that. Totally. I was like, damn, damn, this movie goes hard right from the beginning.
1: Yeah, they're setting you up. My jaw dropped and I was all I could really think was, (laughs) man, I'm glad he at least shot him six times because that's. Just sitting there burning would suck.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, it would.
1: Yeah. It would what's,
0: what's really funny is I just finished. I've, I've been doing a rewatch of the Defenders series, the Netflix produced Marvel series. Um, and I got through season two. I'm up through season two of Luke Cage. And there's a scene in Luke Cage where they light someone on fire in a restaurant. And they let them burn for a while before finally shooting them. And it's just yeah. like oh man that's just what a way to go you know it's somebody screaming in agony and yeah. so having just freshly watched that i'm like this is the if you're gonna do that this is the better way to do it the more humane the way, way. <laughs>
1: yes
0: <laughs> but this cast just doesn't stop so yeah. before we get too deep into it this is based on real events and they're big quotes around that because frank lucas and Richie Roberts, real, real people. Frank Lucas was a real uh, uh, kingpin type drug uh, person in New York. Richie Roberts was uh, a narcotics officer that did arrest him and, uh, and did become his defense lawyer. Um, that part was true. Um, but both of them have said, hey, I mean, it's fictional. Like it takes some liberties with the truth. And you kind of have to know that when you're watching a movie um so bear that in mind when you when you're watching this and as we discuss it that you know some of these characters are based on real people like this richie roberts in the in the film is a little bit of an amalgamation of a couple of people um but uh but richie roberts was a real person but chuetol edgifor uh plays frank's brother huey and i love him in everything Everything I see him in, he is phenomenal. And this what was cool about seeing this in the theater was I had seen Serenity two years earlier with him as the uh, as the operative. And then the year before this, he was in um, a movie with Denzel Washington directed by Spike Lee called Inside Man. And if you haven't seen that, that's
1: a real good one, too. I have not seen that, Travis. Well, make sure we'll I'll take some notes here. Um, write that down.
0: <laughs> yes. Uh, but he plays the younger brother, Huey Lucas, in this, and he's just, he's great, as always. Like, he just brings, he's another one of those. Every, every performance in this movie, doesn't matter who it is, they brought their A game. Like, everybody's and, yeah. on point. Um,
1: yeah. I believed everyone.
0: Who who was the most surprising face that popped up for you out of this cast? Like where you were just like completely shocked because there's a lot of fa- John Hawks. I love um, he was Freddie Spearman. He was the, he is one of my favorite character actors um, going, yeah, you know, Ted, Ted Levine as uh, the kind of police captain um, RZA, I think is actually, I like RZA. He's a good actor. He's got a lot of charisma that helps a ton. Um, but who, who was somebody that you saw them and you were just, you completely blown away by it? What was probably the most surprising one for you?
1: So I had to quick go to IMDB first. There's, there's a few, it's really hard to put it, man. I don't know. I said, now I'm looking at the list. I'm like, all these people surprised me. Josh Brolin. (laughs) I had no idea. How about that? Like he shocked me. Like, I didn't know he was in this movie and then Mm -hmm. common was in this movie. I didn't know that. Like, Oh, holy crap. Look. Cuba, Cuba was in this movie. Yeah, that was that all of these gave me that like, oh, man, that person, Carla Gugino. I mean, I was just I was I was shocked left and right. I don't know that I have a a number one. John Hawks was good, though. John Hawks was the one that I saw. I'm like, I know that dude. He was doing a lot of stuff in this era, like in this mid odds kind of like he's been in a bunch of stuff. But I don't remember. I couldn't point it out if I tried. Um, One of my
0: favorite roles he ever did was in identity. His, his part in yes. identity as the guy that's running the hotel when they show up. And then what you learn about him as it goes on. I just loved him in that. Um,
1: yes, that's right. He, he just was in that.
0: Yeah. He just, he never like every, like, like so many actors in this, but he just never does something bad. He's there's always something compelling about him and he's got a really unique look. He sort of, I used to, when I was younger, I would conflate him and DJ qualls a lot because they're both like yes. rail thin and have a similar kind of face going on. And I was, I could never tell the two apart for a while. Um, but I, but I eventually was able to, and Hawks is just, you know, and Oscar nominated too. A lot of, I didn't uh, know he
1: was Oscar nominated. That's awesome. Yeah.
0: I, f- I forget that sometimes, but he got nominated, um, for best supporting actor for winter's bone back in 2011
1: oh okay yeah this dude he's got one of those those faces and it's i think he's kind of been typecasted like a roughneck redneck kind of guy a few times Mm -hmm. if i recall um yeah he's he's done a lot of that yeah like Mm -hmm. greasy bar guy is kind of the the way i see him but yeah he was he's he's absolutely phenomenal uh, I mean, they, they were all good. Armand Asante was in this. I, I picked that up. I'm like, oh, I remember you from Judge Dredd. Yep. Uh, that's the one movie he, toned it.
0: he toned it back a little bit from his Judge Dredd performance yeah. here. Yeah, he you wasn't like, as it. much of a
1: card. Yeah, right. Bring it down
0: a level. <laughs> uh, yeah, Carla Gugino, uh, Gugino or Gugino. I had 100% <laughs> forgotten she was in this at all. Um, and what's cool is, about some of these uh, smaller parts where it's a a face that you recognize that's maybe only on screen for a couple of minutes, like Carla, like um, uh, Ted Levine, um, who only has the couple of scenes, but there's something about, they're not A-list actors. They're not, you know, and so it doesn't feel like stunt casting, but you see them and you're like, oh yeah, I've seen them in a bunch of other stuff. I like them. Um, Yeah. You know, Cuba uh, as Nikki Barnes, um, common, you mentioned, Mm -hmm. and common, is another one of those guys that just like, he just oozes cool in everything he's in. He's just smooth. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, The two that, that surprised me the most that I had completely forgotten were in this Norman Reedus for one scene.
1: Yes, that's right.
0: Cause this is um, 2007, which I think is before walking dead.
1: Yeah, I was about to say it's either before or right around when Walking Dead kicked off because he he very the character he played very well could have just walked off the set of the Walking Dead <laughs> and over to the set of the American Gangster. And uh, he honestly has
0: has had that same look since he played Scud in uh, Blade Two. Like he has just kept that that look about him, unshaven, longish hair, little bit greasy, like like he's mm-hmm. he's like two or three days without a shower, not quite like. And- He's not ripe yet, but, but you could, you could easily tell he needs, you know, you could, you could use a shower. Like, and yeah it, and that's been Norman Reedus forever. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, that was one. Uh, and then the other one was, um, Idris Elba. That, I had,
1: I can't believe I did. see, he wasn't in the list of actors I was looking at, but yeah, the minute he showed up, I'm like, is that Idris Elba? That's Idris Elba. <laughs> holy cow that's Idris Elba. Yeah. That's a good one too.
0: And and the thing about it is like his scene his so the first scene he's in at the at the wake for Bumpy um yeah. played by Clarence uh Clarence
1: Washington the 3rd I think. I loved him. I loved um, him for the 2 minutes I saw him. Loved oh, him. Oh,
0: he's always so good. Um yeah. but at his wake Idris Elba is, you know, he's he's not really showing much respect in that that whole scene. And I was like, oh, man, Idris Elba's in this. I forgot he was in. And for some reason, while I was watching it, re-watching it, and I'm taking notes and stuff, I kept wanting to call him Turbo instead of Tango. I don't know why. I don't know why. Like, that's the word my brain kept using was Turbo. I'm like, no, it's Tango. Um, but then he has the oh, most, like, he is involved in the most memorable scene in this movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, to, and it tells you the strength of this movie that I completely forgotten it was Idris Elba like with everything else that's going around going on in it. But that scene we'll kind of get to in a little bit, but that one is just like, you remember that. And I, I I heard a funny anecdote about it uh, today that uh, I'll share later. Um, But yeah, like everybody in this is just John Polito shows up as the, as a, another Italian mobster, very similar to his character in Miller's crossing. Uh, He's in like two scenes He basically is there. He does a a little speech about how they need like order, how how Harlem is gonna fall apart because there's no order to anything anymore. And sort of it kind of is the catalyst for Frank to do what he does. And I love again, I love John Polito. I've I loved him and so many things that he would do. And he usually played either this type of character or the really greasy, like runs a pawn shop or street dealer type of guy.
1: He was um, great. He had, in blank man. Uh, <laughs> yes. You recall the Damon Wayans joint blank man. He was wonderful in that.
0: He was great in that. He was, uh, I loved him in the crow. Uh, he has a small role in there, um, but he's got that voice. He just had that, that voice that sounded like he he tried to swallow a rasp and uh yeah. and just destroyed his vocal cords and, and is, he's
1: been it's, sucking down raw oysters for a week. That's yep. what he, that's what he always looked like to me. He looked like <laughs> lips from Dick Tracy.
0: <laughs> nice. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um he's great. T I, uh Tip Harris as uh, Stevie Lucas, young, young T I. Um He's become a little bit problematic with some assault, I think, stuff recently. But he's oh, a good. he's a charismatic yeah. actor. Um, sure. Funny, funny thing is, and I thought this was great. He is uh, his dad in this is played by Common, right? So he's playing Common's son. He is only eight years younger than Common.
1: <laughs> it's that old uh, Indiana Jones and Henry Jones Senior situation.
0: Yeah. Oh, and rough. the one the the one that really got me was so our our kind of opening scene with um richie is when he's serving that subpoena and he's going up and he's talking about yeah i know the guy from high school and him and his partner go up and they serve that subpoena and they have there's that quick little action sequence um Mm -hmm. the actor that he serves the subpoena to is kevin corrigan
1: another i love
0: character actor i love him he is yeah and It's all these actors that disappear into roles, right? Kevin Corrigan does that even when they're memorable, uh, Corrigan, John Polito, common Idris Elba, they can disappear into these roles and you, you forget that they're in so many things. Um, Oh yeah. What shocks me and I will never understand this about, uh, the awards, uh, kind of system is that this movie was only up for two Academy Awards in, in uh, the 2008 Academy Awards, it was only up for two. Art direction, which absolutely okay. should have been up for. We'll get to that because I have thoughts about that. And one yeah. acting. And the acting one, I will, I will let you think about this for a second. Guess who you think would have gotten an, a nomination for this movie for it was not best actor, it was supporting. Okay. So it was acting, acting in a supporting role. Who do you think would have gotten one?
1: Acting, any, in a any idea at all? Uh, let's go with uh, roll the dice on this. Let's say J- Josh Brolin.
0: Okay. Wrong. Ruby D.
1: Ruby plays D. Oh. Mama Lucas. Okay. And look. Travis, she was great. She was great. But mm-hmm. sometimes awards, this happens in the Grammys all the time. We didn't give these people the justification we could before they were almost dead, so we need to put them in there to make sure we can we get them an Oscar before they die. Uh, this is what they tend to do. Because now, now I'm not saying her performance was bad; it was great. It was just not much. I mean, it, it, it was it bad. was
0: short. The, yeah the 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 amount of screen time was not much. She basically got the nomination for one scene, and that's the scene where she stands up to Frank and slaps him and tell you know and and says all that to him like cuz that i mean you, you want to talk about an emotional scene like this is frank lucas is at this point in his life virtually untouchable but his mama ain't afraid to slap him and mm-hmm. tell him that she would leave him and that's like it's a it's a big scene so she earned i think the nomination she did not win uh the win i believe went to that was a year Tilda Swinton won. I want to say for uh, oh
1: for Michael Clayton. Yeah, Another um, one but I, I was
0: just I was just so surprised that this movie didn't get more um, at least nominations.
1: Yeah, d- Travis, I'm looking at the the best actress and best performance and support. Like all these, mm-hmm. I mean, I appreciate Johnny Depp Sweeney Todd, you know, and that's fine but i could easily replace him with denzel and not feel bad about it
0: yeah you the know? only thing i could think of is there was some denzel fatigue cuz he had already won uh and had been nominated a couple times but you know then you got daniel day-lewis who won it for their yeah. Wolby blood which
1: a he, he hell of a
0: performance it. yeah um so yeah i it's it's always difficult cuz who do, who do you remove like johnny depp of those performances Johnny Depp has done some great work. I don't think Sweeney oh, Todd yeah. is some of his best. I think he's done no. far better. And um, that's
1: another one that could have been. Hey, we we really want Johnny to get an Oscar at some point, but he's not getting it for Pirates. So let's throw in let's throw in the Sweeney Todd. How's that sound, to everybody? And Everybody goes, yeah, sounds good. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's like, true. I feel like it's but, it, it's it's weird.
0: You know, Javier Bardem won that year for No Country for Old Men. Totally earned it that deserved. performance is haunting. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It's a, t- that's a tough one. Like I look at it, it's Javier Bardem, Hal Holbrook, Tom Wilkinson, Philip Seymour Hoffman and Casey Affleck. Like, and Casey Affleck take her leave, but his performance in the assassination of Jesse James by the coward, Robert Ford, which I will always say the full title of, because it's ridiculous. Yeah.
1: He is really yeah. good.
0: It, it is a good performance. It's just like, yeah. so who do you remove from there? But, I could list off four or five different people from American Gangster that I would have been happy to see get a supporting acting nod. Oh yeah. As well, so it's it's a weird. tough one. It's just because everybody's so good in this. Every sing- there's nobody in this movie that feels miscast at any point. Oh no. Um,
1: no, every, and, everything's great.
0: And and when you're like when you're doing a movie based on real events that can happen sometimes where it's like no, all I see is Josh Brolin. No, Brolin plays that that role of the corrupt cop just like to a T. I mean, from the moment he steps on screen, you're just like, mm-hmm. oh, I don't, I don't like this guy at all. He's terrible. And then he goes even further by shooting the dog. And I was like, well, okay, he doesn't deserve anything anymore. Like, I'm done with you, sir. Yeah, um, you know,
1: you know, they they the actors are, are disappearing, like you said, because every time I saw these actors, I had to like double take. <laughs> like when it, I saw, it and I Is that And when Josh Brolin came, I am like, "Is that that Josh Brolin? Is that Chihuahua mm-hmm. you I I I for?" Like uh, everybody, just fell into their roles so strong that I'm just. It shocked me. Um, I think that's why we oh, yeah. went with Josh Brolin first. Back to your original question, I, I because I saw him and I wasn't ready for slick back hair, mustache, goatee, soul <laughs> patch, whatever. Josh Brolin.
0: Yeah. Um. Also, Lamari Nadal uh, as Ava. She did a lot with minimal dialogue. She doesn't have to say a lot that her performance in the scene where Frank burns the coat alone. um, Yeah. Was great. And that was such a cool scene because we had earlier in the movie where he pulled Huey aside and he's like, Huey, what are you doing? What are you wearing? Like, what's going on here? You look like a clown. You got this big arrest me sign on you and all of that. And then, Mm -hmm. You know, shift forward a little bit, and he's showing up at the at the Muhammad Ali fight in a ten thousand dollar chinchilla coat and that hat, which, by the way, Frank Lucas really wore. I saw a picture, yes. of him in that, and it it's amazing. Um, mm-hmm. But it's like, yeah he he had gotten so big and so in his own head that he felt untouchable.
1: Yeah, and, and at least in, in the, the the way this movie played out, that was kind of the the peak, and then his downfall. Because that's when the cops got curious, right? That's when Richie got curious. Yep. Like, wait a minute. he could, If he'd have been in a business suit sitting up front, they might not have thought a thing of it. Like, other than him talking to the mobsters that were in the row behind him, but that might not have been quite as recognizable as, as potential shifty behavior without yeah. that chin coat on. He <laughs> broke his only rule, and then it was over.
0: Yeah, yeah, because he wouldn't have... He would have gotten noticed, but it wouldn't have been as obvious. But he's wearing that big, fur, ridiculous hat, which that was a great line from uh, Armando Santa. You're going to wear that hat the whole time? I can't see the fight. Well, you paid for it.
1: <laughs> yeah, pretty good.
0: Um, like right down to, you know, the the guy playing um, his cousin, Nate, uh, in, in uh, Thailand. Oh, and, yeah. And uh, Ruben Santiago Hudson playing Doc who's got that role. Like he becomes the Frank. Uh, mm-hmm. He becomes who Frank was at the start of the movie. And he's just like, I love a movie that's got that character, right. Who just, he's in all these scenes and you almost at one point in the movie, I like forget that he's there. And then mm-hmm. Frank will walk somewhere and just doc will be right behind him. And it's like, yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. Oh, Doc's yeah. literally everywhere with this guy at all times. Um, yeah. It's just, uh, oh, everybody, everybody up and down, just nailing it in this. And then on top of that, to have it set in New York in the 70s and the filming of this, like it got an art direction Oscar nomination and it looks so good because New York City to it, you know, has a look to it. Um, That is, you can tell when movies film in other cities and it pat they try to pass yeah. it off as New York. Like you can always tell but 1970s new york because we saw a lot of that in the 70s film uh industry because a lot of movies were getting shot in new york in the in the 1970s yeah and we've seen it a lot and they re they captured the look of that i think to a t um i got a lot of feel of like uh the movie the french connection when watching this um in in terms of like visual style like obviously it looks doesn't look like it was shot in the 70s but the backgrounds and everything that they have give me that feeling yeah. the whole time
1: colors costume so, population density mm-hmm. cars i mean the that that smoky filthy <laughs> 70s new york there's like a grime on yep. everything that's what yeah, that's just the this- sense- It's like, if I touch that, I would want to wash my hands. Like, yeah, it's just a
0: a thin coat of something over, over everything. And you can just (laughs) feel it on your fingertips,
1: but you're not sure if it's rain. It's just like, (laughs) what is that? Why is that wet still? What's going on there?
0: (laughs) And the, uh, the costuming you brought up, uh, was just, I mean, God, all the costuming was so good. It all had the, the, the look like Frank, always looks just dressed to the nines in everything he's wearing. Even when he, when he gives the house to his mom, which is another one of those great scenes where, and it was a trailer, uh, a trailer shot where she goes, whose house is that? And he's like, it's yours mama. Um, Mm -hmm. But even that he's wearing that kind of short sleeve collared, like almost sweater, but not quite shirt. I don't know how to describe that shirt, but that and a pair of like khaki slacks. And he just, he just looks good. All the time. And then yeah. when he gets a suit on, whew, I mean.
1: Yeah, look just, out. That's, he's exuding power. And mm-hmm. I mean, on the flip side of that, Richie, uh, he he doesn't look like a cop to me at any point in this. He just looks like kind of a schlub. It's <laughs> just mm-hmm. like out there, just he's working. He's doing blue collar cop work. And yep. he oh, he's just a little bit play. scruffy. He's a little bit scruffy. He's got like some flowery shirt on that's just 70s up down up one way and down the other and uh, yeah. I mean, he's a gun tucked in the back of his pants but otherwise mm-hmm. you have real no real idea he's a cop. Yeah. He just looks uh, like he's stumbling through most of it but he's stumbling through it all with a very powerful and direct moral compass at least for the law. Maybe yes. not for the, his surrounding life but for the law he cares and he's going to do the right thing and i appreciated that a lot uh in his character it was it was Ah, good
0: i did too i liked that distinction of this character where he is the straight-laced cop like they make it a big point that he finds that million dollars in unmarked bills and turns it in right Mm. and it's like well why'd you do that well it was the right thing to do but his moral compass as you pointed out is for the law and what's written because when it comes Mm. to home life he's just kind of doing whatever he wants um and you know he's he's cheating on his wife and all this kind of stuff so there's a it's an interesting dichotomy to him um that i think gave that character more depth um Mm -hmm. and more believability as a character um so I, i very much appreciated that i also like that crow is he's bulky but he's not like ripped um. Yeah, and but they but they made it a point to have a scene in the movie where he's working out and you get that sense that like, he he's built like a guy who played football in high school. And he's kind of kept working out, but not in nearly the shape that he was. But you also know, like, if he had to, he could, he could handle himself. And he's probably got some, some of that middle aged man strength, right? That Yeah,
1: like- it's, it's middle aged man strength, and it's mostly arm day. Like, He's got no time for core or legs. We're just going to lift things. Like that's what a man needs is biceps. (laughs) He's got
0: biceps and shoulders he works on, but like his core isn't defined, but you know that that's solid. Like he's not soft. Like if you, if you ran into him, it would be like hitting a wall. And I, I like, there's something about that look that like it's, it's the functional strength. It's the guy who's, you know, it's like if you meet somebody like, who's a Mason, let's say who's done masonry work yeah. for their whole life. Right. They don't look intimidating until you learn that they've done nothing but masonry work for their entire life. And then you realize that they could crush your head with one hand, like a grape yeah, because like, they've spent it, their entire life lifting cinder blocks one at a time and just carrying them places.
1: Yeah. One person that, that strikes me when you say that is Jim Varney um, mm-hmm. uh, who played early. When he rolls up his sleeves and Ernest goes to camp, you're like, "Dang, that guy's got wiry muscle, like yes, muscle used, but like like Eastern Kentucky mountain muscle. <laughs> you, yep. you wouldn't know it, but you also don't want to be hit by him.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. like guys that you know, um, masons, carpenters, farmers, like these people that have done yeah. physical ditch diggers right guys that are doing hammers. that their whole life swinging hammers like it's that functional muscle where it doesn't look as intimidating as uh as some might but who oh boy when the, if if you got in a scrap with him and he hits you the the only thing that's happening after that is you hitting the ground because <laughs> it's over it's like and it's, being it, hit by chunks it, of oh, concrete. yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah it's and it's um it's, I forgot what I was gonna say. Oh anyway, it was more about just fawning over Russell Crowe's muscle. Oh, it's period accurate. That's what I was getting after. It's period yes. accurate. In the 70s, people didn't we didn't have Marvel superhero level strength on normal people or even in the movies. It was kind of mm-hmm. like frowned upon in the 70s for you to be like super built. Like that was for bodybuilders and stuff. That's for yep. they don't do anything but work out, they're basically lazy. They just work out all day, but you and me, we have jobs. We do stuff, so we're gonna look dad bodish. That was when the dad bod was actually attractive to people, and you didn't have to look like Chris Hemsworth to turn heads, you know.
0: And and it was a thing, like it was that was what actors looked like. Even uh, if you look at like Burt Reynolds at the time, he was he was in great shape, but yeah, he was not. You he didn't look like he worked out eight hours a day. Like he was just, he was in good shape. Um, and so yeah. I did appreciate that, the period accurateness of, of that. And like all of them, I mean, there's shots of, you know, them sitting around all the, the narcotics um, detectives and are all sitting around and like Riz has got his sleeves rolled up and he's got a little definition to his arms, but he's he's still just like a, a lanky, wiry guy. Um, I just, I, I appreciated that. It was, it was, it added just like, the the layer of grime over everything on set. It was that added authenticity. Um, same thing with like all the cars. I, doing anything period piece is tough anyway as a film um, as, yeah. in filmmaking because it's so much more expensive. You have to spend so much extra time uh, dressing your set and making sure mm-hmm. your backgrounds don't show up. It's a little bit easier today because it's a lot easier to digitally remove things that you don't want to see um, than it was like, even as,
1: on every every portion of New York city.
0: (laughs) That is one of my favorite things about, uh, Raiders of the lost Ark was the shot in Cairo where they had to ask everybody to take down their TV antennas, like (laughs) half of Cairo. Yeah.
1: Just so they can get the whole shot.
0: And they couldn't, they couldn't change the shot. They had to use whatever angle they were going to use because you're not going to go ask a bunch more people to take them down. Um, yeah. You know, and and then obviously today you can just paint all that out. But there, I love that in filmmaking when you can take the time to do that. And I never, I'm sure if I went through and watched this frame by frame and analyzed it all, I could find some cars that don't work right, some signage yeah. that, you know, doesn't seem right. But everything felt really authentic. It did. And I really enjoyed that about it. And it's just top to bottom, this movie, it, It's it's a hallmark of Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott is very good at being um meticulous in the visuals and this and the style of his films um really his brother tony was too but tony had a different style a different look that he went for um but there's just something about a ridley scott movie i can always pick him out and he didn't he also doesn't always do the same types of movies he's not a horror guy he's not an action guy he's just making movies and I I love that. I love the variety of stuff that he does.
1: Yeah, he just picks a story and he goes. I could tell that pretty well on camera, I think. And he goes for it. It's like, I mean, you're talking about Alien and Gladiator and Kingdom of Heaven and this. Like the two Kingdom of Heaven and Gladiator the closest in it, in probably look feel, but that's just because they're both epics, you know. Yeah, but, you know, he doesn't have to do an epic. I was I actually thought originally that this was Tony Scott when. I was turning it on I thought oh this is cuz I couldn't remember when he passed away so I was like mm. oh this is this is, must have been one of Tony Scott's last things I was like oh wait this is a oh this is Ridley not expected that okay yeah so that was yeah.
0: me um let's see so originally uh the first I think the first director that was on board to do this was Antoine Fuqua who had done oh. Training Day yeah um and he was gonna do it but apparently like a month or two before shooting was supposed to start the studio backed out for concerned about the budget getting too big um mm-hmm. i guess he had he had some some of his choices for supporting roles were a little too expensive and things were kind of getting out of out of hand i guess so he was no longer on it at one point i did read that david fincher was possibly going to do it which would have been interesting because it would have been very different
1: yeah um yeah that would have been funny funny you say it's antoine fuqua because stephanie when we turned it on she thought it was an. she thought it was in her words the guy who did training day who did this (laughs) when i was like i was like i don't that this is a real this is a a tony i think at that point i was like i think this is tony scott um, cause I was all confused. And then when the Scott free <laughs> productions came up, I was like, wait, did Tony and Ridley work in the same Scott free? They're both there. Produ- I got all messed up for for a little while. I had a rocky start movie because I got, uh, <laughs> I was, I started it and then they were serving papers and then they were banging down doors and punching people. Like what just happened? What are we doing? <laughs> it took me a good 30 minutes to finally understand that the cops were not good people, uh, in this movie. For the, by and large. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. Everything that has just happened is because cops suck in this, in this movie. Got it. I understand.
0: Okay. So here's a question for you, uh, because I have my own story when I first saw this movie. Did you think while you're watching this at some point, somebody was going to turn in the, of the cops and be like a mole or something? Did you have that feeling while you were watching it?
1: Uh, Travis, let me tell you a little bit about how I watch a movie. Uh, I don't think about the future. I just think (laughs) about what's happening in front of me. This works in some movies like this one, but in a James Bond movie, I'm lost the entire time. Uh, (laughs) I've only seen two James Bond movies I understand because I can only watch things scene by scene. I'm just... You know, my mom she figures out all the mysteries ahead of time. She's got she's got thoughts and plans and ideas. Not fair me. enough. No, I didn't think I didn't think there would be a mole because I didn't even think past the moment I was watching. <laughs> I
0: just remember I remember being in the theater thinking, and maybe it was because some like movies I had watched prior to seeing this kind of went that route, and it was very tropey to have like one of the cops ends up being a you know, because yeah. there was the whole theme of like crooked cops and all of the cops being crooked, right. I kept having this this nagging thing in the back of my head, like, oh, at some point one of these guys is going to turn out to actually be crooked, even though he got to choose them. Um, yeah, and I like that they didn't go that route; that they were all genuinely like not on the take in any way. Um, mm-hmm. I thought that was a nice uh, a nice change from I did, some I things that I'd seen little... before
1: that. I did have a little concern when he did the like, who all think I'm crazy for turning into money and like everybody raised their hand. I thought, oh, well, he'll just kick out this whole team and like start over. But then like I realized it was a joke and they all just were like, yeah, you're crazy. But it was like, Mm -hmm. you're crazy. You did the, you still did the right thing. We're all on the up and up. You're, you're, you're nuts. And I don't know if I, if I would have done it, but you did it and it's good for you. There was no animosity there because he did it. Right. I think that was And a that
0: good, was good way I think that was what I was worried about the first time I saw it was that at some point somebody was going to be like going to going to give in to temptation and none of them ever did, you know. And when yeah. I watch it now I realize I had no reason to because that's all set up. Like Ted Levine tells him you get to pick your own guys and then he goes to John Hawks and they're having their thing and Hawks is pointing out, you know, the two guys that he's going to bring with him. And he's, he's telling them like, yeah, but they're, they're on the up and up. And if you want me, you're taking them too. And yeah, this, I like that.
1: That's how my next, uh, next D D campaign is going to start. By the way, <laughs> this is nice. exactly. what I'm gonna
0: do. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah. um, because that opening scene where they find, where they track the, the car, him and his partner, Richie and, and uh, Javier. And they wait and they wait and they wait. And then they end up going and looking in the trunk and find all that cash that scene sets up so much because we've learned, we've already learned a lot of what we need to know about who Frank is. And now we learn what we need to know about who Richie is. And this movie for being it's two and two hours and 37 minutes, I think total, um, which is a long movie. And the funny thing about it is it's all this buildup. And then after the climax of the film was like, and then they brought these people down and they did all of this and all this stuff happened. And usually that's what your movie would be about, right? Is Mm -hmm. the taking down of all the corrupt cops and the taking, you know, the dismantling of the, of the drug trade and all of that. And this movie, this, that wasn't the story Ridley Scott and the filmmakers were telling here. They wanted all of that rise of Frank Lucas and subsequent uh, fall. And I thought that was really cool. I thought it was a very compelling story to tell.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, it's way more interesting than we took down a bunch of cops. Look at this partnership between the mob and the police. This was cool. Because for one, it was a misdirection because I didn't know where this movie was going. Mm-hmm. I thought this movie was about a gangster and and heroin and how he goes. And I expected like a showdown between him and Richie at some point. I thought we were climbing to that. Yep. And it just it flips on you in the last 20 minutes and maybe 10. I mean, it was really close to the end where it becomes a whole nother story. And you're like, oh my gosh, that's incredible.
0: Yeah, and you've got Denzel and Russell don't have a scene together until they're they're in the same scene once prior to him arresting him, but they don't have a scene together until two hours and 15 minutes into the movie, two hours and 20 minutes in. yeah, And then they, you know, they work together to bring everything down. Um, but I, I had a note. I was, my note was like within 15 minutes of the start of this movie, we know who Frank is and how much of a man of principle he is and what he is willing to do to keep and have respect. And we know, yes, we know who Robbie is. We know what his principles are, at least when it comes to the law. And mm-hmm. we know that he is going to do the right thing By the law no matter what and to set that up about the two of them and then get to watch them go in parallel without knowing who each other like they start off that's the other thing i I think i really liked about this and why this story was so interesting to me was there's no connection between them at all to start frank lucas Mm -hmm. is literally nobody in the world of crime like he is thought of as bumpy's driver that's all he is you know, no, none of, none of them give him any respect. And he builds himself through just sheer force of will, basically into the man in Harlem. And Mm
1: -hmm. then you've got
0: a cop who is a pariah in his own precinct and is working to be a lawyer. I thought that was kind of cool how they subtly did all that too, how they show him at night school and they show him with his bar letter where he passed the bar exam but they don't make a big deal out of it, but he's, he's trying to be more than just a cop. And it's just like their parallel stories going on and then, and slowly, um, uh, Richie, figuring out who he, um, who Frank is and unraveling all this stuff. Like, I just, it was really, I love stories. Like I love good storytelling and this had that in spades. All, this all is
1: this it. is one of those um, this is one of those examples like I use Home Alone all the time as mm-hmm. a really good example of of storytelling and getting everything the audience needs to know to them, either through words or visuals. And this this does that like it does like you were talking about, you get to see Frank and you get to see Richie and in the first 10 to 15 minutes, you know, everything you need to know to follow along and it yep. rewards you for paying attention. Because I think the, the night school thing is a throwaway line. If you're getting popcorn or you're 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 whispering something to your friend next to you, you kind of miss it. You don't really think that's that important. So they show it to you again later because he's getting his letter saying, you successfully passed the bar in Jersey. So I give it to you again. It's just, it's a partnership. Like I love sc- screenwriters that know their story is going to be told on a screen. They're not mm-hmm. writing everything in the dialogue with 30 minutes of exposition. They're going, no, I'm going to hand this to a talented filmmaker who is going to take it and fill in the gaps that I don't have written here with Mm -hmm. junk on the screen that's going to make it work. And Home Alone does that in spades right from the beginning. The ticket getting thrown in the trash with the milk. Uncle Frank's a jerk. The phone lines going down. Like every little bit of that. uh, The kid at the, you just, you just know, you see it all getting set up right out of the gate. You're like, well, yeah. They didn't even say anything. I just, I know what's going on because I'm watching a flipping movie.
0: Well, and it, it, it brings me to uh, a scene in this that is indelible for me. It's, it's baked into my brain now. And I now won't forget that Idris Elba is in it and it is, we have, we have seen Frank Lucas slowly building up his stuff. Right. And he takes the time to, I love that he goes through all of the steps to go to Thailand and we get to see like him getting shots for travel and getting his passport and getting ready to go and then he goes to Thailand and meets with his cousin
1: Vietnam, right it's well it, go. he
0: was he was in Bangkok
1: okay it went to during, Thailand and went to Vietnam yeah. or did they never go to Vietnam and I'm I'm lost
0: they went in the jungles so okay. somewhere but it's, this was during the Vietnam conflict so it's Got all it. um but he he takes the time to do all of that and I love the line when he's there he's like so you want to you want to go out into the jungle? Is like, I came all this way, like I'm just going to keep going, because he was singularly focused on I'm going to go to the source. Yeah, and I like that the movie didn't spend a lot of time getting him there. They were just like, yeah, he gets there.
1: Yeah, um, and, yeah. There's no need to show a montage of him walking through the mountains on a donkey. Mm-hmm. Just put it. Yeah, there. we made, made it, and it's all because that's what Bumpy told him. Mm-hmm. Bumpy died telling him. We got too many middlemen, and he just followed directions. He Forrest Gumped his way into being a heroin kingpin.
0: Yeah, and we see him build all this up, and then he calls his family down in uh, Greensboro, and he brings them up to New York, and he's buying houses, and he's doing all this stuff, and so we've got all of this set up, and now he brings all five of his brothers to New York City, and he's explaining to them, how you know the man he worked for for fifteen plus years ran his business but didn't own his business, and man. he was rich, but he wasn't white man rich he wasn't wealthy, which also makes me think about the chris Rock uh bit where he talks about being rich versus being wealthy, like shack is rich. Yeah. the guy that signs Shaq's checks is wealthy um, <laughs> and uh but he's he's telling them all this they sit down to have their diner. Uh, lunch whatever it is when he looks over and he sees tango and turbo? this yeah, turbo <laughs> <laughs> and this scene plays out one of the trivia bits on imdb made me laugh and it was it, it it said that every time frank lucas pours a bunch of sugar it tells his bodyguards or friends that something's about to go down i'm like it happened twice in the movie <laughs> and one of them can kind of fit that mold, but he takes. <laughs> but I like I like that the scene is a callback to the the last scene that had Tango in it, where he, where he confronted him in that same diner. Um, but he pours the sugar out, and it's just the look because he's telling him about how like honesty and integrity are the way to do business and all of this. He still hasn't told him what they do yet. Mm-hmm. Um, presumably, we're assuming that anyway. But for him to just like mid-sentence, pour all the sugar out of that container and get up and be like, I'll be right back and just walk across the street. And he watching his brothers opening the window, like what's going on here. And the power move that it is to pull the gun on the street in broad daylight in front of the market and all those people. And I mean, did that scene play out how you thought it was going to or did, were you legitimately surprised by the the way that scene happened?
1: I draw jaw hit the floor, Travis. <laughs> I did not expect that. I I don't watch movies movies that I watch there's always an empty threat. There's never there's the the we're not beating around the bush. We're just going to do the thing. That doesn't happen. Yeah. So I was very shocked.
0: And, and it happens so quickly and without fanfare. And it just like, it happens, it's done. And he walks back, wipes his hands off. He's like, so where was I? Um, but it's yeah. it calls back to the previous scene with the two of them, the conflict they had there. Like it's brilliantly done. It's brilliantly bookending that whole saga between Tango and Frank Lucas. And yeah, it's just perfection. And I did like the anecdote and it was Ridley Scott talking about it. That uh, the day they shot that scene, the prop weapon that they used for the scene had no barrel in it whatsoever. Like it was solid. The whole slide was a solid piece. All it would do is recoil. Um, Okay. And the way Ridley Scott said is like, no blanks, no powder, no nothing. We're not, you know, there's no like possibility of anything going wrong. And so he told Idris Elba to really lean into that barrel where the barrel would be to really lean into it. Like he, like he's that confident. The guy's not going to shoot him just yeah. for the performance. Well, he apparently didn't realize or didn't know that there was any recoil to that when, it, when the trigger was pulled. And so he went down and like he got shot and said, so, and according to Ridley, Scott he just screamed out. I got shot. Like thinking it really <laughs> happened, which to it's me is a cool. hilarious, like, yeah, the recoil popped him in the in the forehead, but like <laughs> I can just imagine being on that on the set that day uh, and how that had to have been pretty funny, but like it's mm. such it's such a powerful scene. And again, like I said, setting up who Frank Lucas is. He is and and for nothing to happen from that. There're no repercussions whatsoever from that. Also tells you just how powerful Frank Lucas got in that. Yeah, I guess you Harlem.
1: you find out how, how powerful he'd become. Because like, I mean, we see the when at Bumpy's last their first scene, almost last scene where he's handing out the turkeys like that was yeah. the whole point was like, I'm going to make the city love me and the city will protect me mm-hmm. from anything that's going to happen. So no one because you and you hear the market person call out, what's it today, Frank or whatever, like they know him. Yeah. So when he gets rid of Tango, the, their whole all i'm thinking is they're going i didn't see nothing i don't know what yep. happened i wasn't here uh and frank exactly. knows he can do that. He knows he can walk up and tango has been a pain in his butt since the day of the funeral when tango didn't give him any respect and then he was just i mean he marked him from that moment that this guy is going to be a problem and when he is i'm done with him and he won't be a problem anymore but none of that yeah. like we're not we're not beating around the bush. We're not giving you second chances. We're not doing that. You give me twenty percent, and I'm pu- or I'm punching you or I'm taking you out. That's the end of the mm-hmm. story. And him and Idris leaning into the gun, saying like, "What are you gonna do? Shoot me?" You know? Yeah, yeah I did it. It it was such a power move. It told you so much about uh, about Frank and how far he was willing to go. And at that point, I didn't think anybody around him was safe. Uh, and he gets into an altercation with his brother. You were talking about uh, about the yeah. clothes. Mm-hmm. What are you doing? Are you wearing these clothes? You're gonna, you're walking around saying, "Please arrest me." I was like, "Is he gonna kill his own brother?" And he looks at him, and every time Frank says, "My man," somebody's in trouble. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> somebody's <laughs> in trouble. All I could think was, like, "Oh, he my manned him, and now we're that it's <laughs> gonna be bad." And he's like, "If you weren't my brother, I would kill you." And I was sitting there thinking, I believe that. I believe that he dead where he stands right there. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, he would be. (laughs) And uh, it's just, hmm,
0: I can't, I can't say enough good things about this. The music is good throughout all of it. Um, Both like the, the soundtrack stuff. And then anytime they were in any of the clubs, the music was always just spot on and it just, it fits so well. And everybody, everything top to bottom. I, I feel like this movie is just, it's kind of underrated in a way. Because I yeah. don't feel like it gets talked about enough as, like, a good, not just a good Ridley Scott movie, but, like, a great movie from that era, from 2007. And I don't know if it was because 2007 had movies like um, No Country for Old Men, yeah, Michael Clayton, uh, Atonement, I think, was one of them. Because I think, yeah, uh, you know, so there were some it great wrote, movies that came out that
1: it, year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: It was, a um, big, it
1: was a big year. And I don't know.
0: I wonder if some of it is is the structure of it and the way that it sort of builds up to this point and then just kind of glosses over a whole lot at the end. And the way that it ends, because it doesn't end in a normal Hollywood style of like it, the ending yeah. of it where he goes to prison, but then he gets out. And that, that last really shot important. is Frank. Yeah. So I don't know if that plays into it a little bit or not. I th- I think, honestly, I kind of like it because it has a story it wants to tell. And the story is about Frank Lucas rising to power and what yeah. he did to get there, how willing he was to go wherever he had to go to do whatever he had to do. And he didn't care what it was and who who he had to deal with. He was going to be the man. And I love those things where people are like, who does he work for? Who who do you represent? He's like myself, you know, mm-hmm. and nobody, nobody's buying it. The DA that scene with the Russell Crowe and Ted Levine and the DA after the, he's looking through the plane, that guy just cannot believe that, you know, one guy could do what the mafia couldn't do and all this kind of stuff uses a lot more colorful language. I ain't going to use, but yeah. um the very racist DA, we'll put it that way. Um, oh yeah. yeah. But like, that right there, that was that was the power of of Frank Lucas in this whole situation was that nobody expected that out of one man, and he just was like, yeah. "Nope, I'm going to do it." And, and then when, when know, he gets the mafia,
1: cornered... oh,
0: go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to. Even the mafia was, you know, and the um, Armando Santis character like couldn't believe that he's doing this kind of stuff, and was trying to get him to expand beyond Harlem. And I think honestly, Frank Lucas would have been just happy owning Harlem and having that yeah. and that be it. And never, cause he had everything he wanted at that point, you know, owning five apartments in New York, like that scene yeah. where he's in the apartment and he, you know, tickles a couple of piano keys and he's like, I'll take it. No, no contingencies. I'm buying this with cash. Like there again, power yeah. move, like just throwing cash around. But so anyway, you were going to say, sorry.
1: Yeah. Um, no, I, I I was thinking once he finally gets uh oh uh, once he finally gets cornered, you know he's he's got caught, he's mm-hmm. in interrogation room with Richie. He does his last what I think is is a power move attempt. You know he's gonna yeah. try to get this cop. I can get rid of you. You know you can go wherever you want. We're done. You let me go back to business. Let me go. All this stuff. And when he finds out he's got a guy that's not gonna move like that slaps the coffee he's trying everything he normally would with anybody but man does his attitude change when he realized he's got a legit like paladin in front of him (laughs) he's just like yep oh okay well how about this we (laughs) just take and then he finds out that that cop's really interested in taking out other dirty cops he's like oh you want to take down the police Oh yeah! I'll give you everybody you want. <laughs> let's, yep. let's do this, and then it becomes this partnership. And you're like, "What just happened?" But to him, he's still <laughs> the police have harassed his people in Harlem long enough too. He's sick of mm-hmm. them. It's like I I see this as a win win. I'm taking down corrupt cops. You want to take down corrupt cops? Hopefully, I guess my brothers are going to get away fine. It's just me, you know. Then I'm. It's it's like. It's like he understood he was beaten, but he wasn't going to lose, if that makes yeah. any sense. And I love the way his entire demeanor changed. You don't see him really smiling, having a good time for real the entire movie. like He might smile, but it's usually with a, I'm about to stab somebody look, Yeah, where uh, he's with his wife. But in this, he looks like he's honest to goodness having a blast writing down cop names and looking at pictures with all these police and i am just tickled me like that guy we got that one we got that one i'm like this is and my wife actually looked up uh richie roberts and uh and frank lucas and found a picture of them all chummy Mm -hmm. (laughs) like like 20 minutes before the movie was over and she's like why are they so chummy and then she figured (laughs) like oh they actually did a lot of work together that's why they look like they're smiling with their arms around each other they they did the work
0: and that slug right at the end, where it talks about how you know he Richie Roberts left being a cop and became a defense attorney,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: his first client was Frank Lucas, yeah, and helped you know defended him, so
1: that cut his sentence. Yeah. yeah, it's super great. I mean that, that yeah, was because
0: in in reality Frank Lucas did get sentenced to seventy years, but he got out in nineteen eighty four
1: eventually fifteen well, years. He, oh, did
0: he 84? he got out he got out in like eighty four I wanna say was out for a year or two, but then violated his probation went back in and then oh. eventually and then got out again in ninety one so it wasn't okay. the movie makes it feel like it was one stint, which works better for the narrative, yeah, uh, but in reality he did two um but part of that was because of how helpful he was in, in dismantling the corruption, uh, rampant in, uh, the police force at the time. So, mm-hmm. and I do appreciate that the movie didn't give, didn't glorify either side. Like it showed the good and the bad sides of both. Yeah. Um, the criminal part and the cops, you know, they showed that there are cops that are doing a good job, but there are also just a ton of corrupt ones. And clearly that hasn't changed uh, over the years. Um, yeah.
1: And people it showed people, that no matter where you put them there, there's yep. good ones, and bad ones. I don't care what job they have.
0: Yeah. Um, and it showed that, you know, there are perks to a life of crime. Sure. Certainly. I mean, we saw some of those, you know. I got like third row seats to a prize fight. Uh that's big t- and that's when pro boxing was big. Like Muhammad, Muhammad Ali, Joe Ali Fraser. That's Fraser? What,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah. That was that was a fight of the century level event.
0: Yeah. But uh but also seeing the downsides of it, seeing how it can all fall apart and how bad it can be. And I also liked that it's all centered around heroin and they never glorified heroin one bit throughout the movie and in fact the drug use shots are they're actually pretty hard to watch they do not yeah, make it look good at all um and yet frank is willing to be a part of it the whole time because he gives he's making him the
1: power he, yeah he's making tons of money he gives him the power he wants he's doing things that he knew bumpy could never do you yeah. know he like, he owned his own business that's the way he looked at it i own my own yeah. business and i'm getting product from the source like bumpy told me he wished we we could do and not i mean the thing that was killing everybody was he wasn't cutting it with powdered other stuff like flour Mm -hmm. or lactose or whatever they were cutting it with and so people were ODing because they were doing what they thought they always did with every other heroin and they were getting 100 percent pure and just didn't know what they were doing anymore people were dying left Mm -hmm. and right yeah and i I, I also like grand central station around here Yeah.
0: I also like that the story, the way the story is structured and told is we don't have like Richie and Frank don't have a bunch of interactions or Frank and uh, Brolin's character don't have a ton of interactions. They only really spend a couple of scenes together at all throughout the entirety of the movie, all of them, which feels like real life. You don't like in reality, you have your small circle of people you see a lot, but anybody outside of that, you don't just run into on a constant basis. Yeah. And so for Frank to have effectively two run-ins with Brolin's character, who is overseeing so much and just like running crap and is sort of the top of the the corruption is kind of cool. And like, again, and Richie only has really what two interactions with him. And I love that they they bookend and they do the same thing. Like when Roland comes into Jersey, he's like, Yeah, next time you get in that bridge, maybe you should call me first. Yeah. Uh, just throwing that back in his face. It's just Yeah. When take it as it is, which is a dramatized story about real people, it's a really good movie. And 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 I, I do think that it is just under it's underseen. I don't think enough people saw it, and it's not like it was a, it wasn't a box office bomb. Um, it made, they did uh, bring the budget down to okay. So the budget ended up being about a hundred million dollars, um, and a lot of that I think was cast, and they shot it in New York, which is always yeah. expensive, and a couple of days in Thailand. But it made two seventy worldwide, so it That's made back cool. its budget plus. Um, yeah, they didn't. It didn't have a ridiculous marketing campaign that like a lot of tentpole films do um so you know it was it was good but it wasn't gangbusters but i do think some of that is it wasn't it was a little bit less marketing Mm -hmm. and it's not a tentpole type movie it's not a big action movie it's it's a drama dramas have a tendency to not not do as well at the box office
1: as, yeah. as other types of films do. Um, traded R drug drama, banking on mostly the star power behind it. Like you're banking mm-hmm. on Denzel and Russell Crowe and Ridley Scott. That's the, that's yeah. what you're, cause if I remember the marketing, it was a trailer, but I mean, what else? Do, they couldn't really tell you a lot. You can't show people shooting up heroin on TV and, you, yep. and you're on your trailers. Like there's only so much they could actually tell you about the movie to get you interested. Um, i mean shoot i like i said i was interested i just didn't for whatever reason i didn't go that day uh i don't i don't remember what was out at the time at the same time maybe that would tell me a little bit like what other movies were were out that maybe overshadowed it for for me but it's hard it's hard to sell rated movie anyway but much less r-rated drama that's not action
0: yep yeah it's hard those are harder to sell um but they, they typically do – this was released in November, so it was very much an award season's release as well. Oh, yeah. um, and, uh But I do think that a movie like this can have um, a longer tail. I think if more people – it can kind of be one of those like word of mouth ones. It's sort of – Scorsese's made his entire career on movies like this. Um, oh, yeah. And so it's it's one of those I do think the more – that more people see it or remember it, um, the better. It's also, it's one of those movies that isn't super quotable. And so I think maybe that has some of it too. Like the dialogue is really good, but it's very natural. So it doesn't have quips. doesn't, uh, other Mm -hmm. than, you know, the, my man, that's, that's no, there aren't. Um, I did capture a couple of clips just because I I liked them. um, Yeah. Which I can play for you. It's really just a couple of Denzel's. um, But uh, first I got John Polito because I just love his voice. More important than any one man's life is order. I also like that line.
1: That's good. Yeah.
0: Um. And then the one case of voiceover that at first I didn't remember it from when I saw it the first time. So when it started with that John Polito voiceover, I was like, "This feels out of place." But it because <laughs> it went into an actual conversation that he was having and became diegetic. I was like, "Oh." okay, that, that yeah. works once the, it <laughs> ended, but, but it was him t- talking about the, the cops taking the drugs from the French connection bust and then cutting it okay. and selling it back to the mafia. Mm-hmm. So it was this, it was this one from Polito. Whacking it down to nothing and selling it back to us. And uh just yeah, such a yeah. mafia line.
1: <laughs> yeah. I love that. It does have that Scorsese feel to it. Like, the the yeah. Italian mobster New York scene, yeah.
0: It feels like that that moment was taken right out of Goodfellas.
1: It does. It does. I even feel like I don't know if that was a horn in the background or what, but it was a little <laughs> jazzy.
0: Yep. <laughs> uh, this one is. Can't, oh, okay. This was a great moment. This is right early on, um, when uh, when Richie and his partner are talking about the money that they found. Okay. and his partner is telling them they just should just keep it they can't turn it in um, and I liked this line cops
1: kill cops they can't trust. I mean yeah yeah that that whole thing that was so confused to start with because I am a naive person <laughs> uh, and I just was like, why are they arguing about turning the money? what is going on? And it was I get it now. Is because mm-hmm. if they turned the money in, they knew that half the force was going to think they were, you know, on the on. Uh, I guess on the right side of the law, or they wouldn't look the other way if the other cops were to take the money or do yep. something with it. it was, it's like to them, to the cops that were looking in at the money, it's that's now off the table. We could have, I could have bought a boat with that if these guys yep. hadn't been idiots and turned it in. We could have just split it, and, and it it, it made more sense
0: reflected. Time. Yeah and it gets reflected later on when he confronts uh, or not confronts but when when he follows the $20,000 into New York City and yeah. roland and his guys show up and take the bag of money and he chases them down he's like hey guys guys you've got my money in there uh you know it's mm-hmm. I, I it's essex county money i need that back and the one cop is like oh man i saw a brand new chris craft in my
1: driveway like yeah that whole scene messed me up too cuz i was like how does he know they're cops but I guess he, they must have said something when they were roughing up the other guy or he just knows mm-hmm. that's how this works. And yeah. it's, it's. I was like, oh man, you're me. You're chasing down these guys and go, whoa, please, that was an accident. Like, I totally need that money. <laughs> that's what I would do and I would be found in, a, in an alley somewhere. Like, <laughs> but it's like, I, 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 hold on, I'm real sorry, corrupt policemen with guns. I need right. that money back. Uh, it was just, it was a wild exchange to me. I love that scene so much because you could tell Richie's out of uniform. I mean, they're all out of uniform, but Richie's not dressed like they are, you know? mm -hmm. And he's like, obviously the low man on the totem pole. And they could just say no and take the money if they wanted to. But dude's like, don't let it happen again. And I'm like, oh my gosh, he almost lost. Because that right before that, he had asked for the money. And the chief was like, you're never getting this again. Like, this is a whole year I'm handing you right now.
0: It was just,
1: I loved every minute of that whole sequence. Like, what is going on?
0: It also had my single favorite shot in the entire movie. And that is Russell Crowe walking up to and passing the windows of that diner Mm -hmm. and then posting up right outside the window. And the camera then does a 180 pan around him And when it hits the wall and stops, boom, there's Josh Brolin and his three buds walking down the street, looking like, you know, just looking like uh, badasses in their sunglasses. And it was just such, it's such a beautiful shot inside of that whole sequence that goes on that's so good. It's two no, sides
1: it. of the coin, and you're seeing them play out like together right then and there. Mm-hmm. You're yeah. watching the good guy and the bad guys, and they're both on the same team, but they're mm-hmm. not they're different factions entirely. yeah, it's so cool.
0: Uh, I got a couple of Denzel lines. Um, this one I just this is a thing where Denzel Washington doesn't really do like accents. He doesn't change a lot of the times like the the tone of voice that he uses he might change his cadence a little bit but for the most part he doesn't but i liked this because this felt also very period accurate when bumpy's having his heart attack in the the discount store and he's calling for the ambulance and he keeps saying and he says it twice he says
1: call the ambulance Ambulance. i love that ambulance yeah
0: because that that felt like like it that like that's how it would sound that, that that's how you would say that or how he would say that so I, I liked that um i liked him at bumpy's wake when he's talking to and it was uh oh what is his name Shoot, joe morton the mustache uh, guy. Was, yeah played uh it was charlie williams was the characters uh, actor joe morton i always think was, of joe morton seen
1: from- you've seen him in everything yeah he's he's, got a, he's a guy he's been around
0: he he has the best he has the best look in this because he's the only one that has his hair like parted and combed out of all of the, the guys from home and on
1: by somebody. Oh yeah, like... oh yeah. <laughs> now
0: I always think of him as Miles Bennett Dyson from T two. That's yep, like that's the first thing that comes it to it mind. Yeah, and um,
1: Eureka. He was the scientist in Eureka on side. Yep, he
0: was also in Eureka. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but when he's talking to Frank, and Frank tells him. I you know, have the people in this room, the you know, old Bumpy money when he died. They think I'm going to forget to collect, but I'm going to get that money. And that is when you know, like, oh, Frank means business. He is, yeah.
1: he, yeah. he is coming. He's Bumpy's driver, and he's the, 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 oh, he did, the money didn't go away when well, Bumpy, Bumpy died. It's like, I'm still here, and my job is to get the money from you people, and I'm going to do it. Yes, he is. I love
0: it. Uh, of course... I'm, I'm going to capture my man. Got to have my, my man. man. Mm-hmm. It is one of my favorite gifts to use as a reaction to.
1: That's, that, like, that that's like like exact one. The black, that's, you, that's you getting a black spot in Harlem as when Frank yeah. Lucas looks at you. says, my man. And you're like, oh, yep. crap. I'm going to die. <laughs> I don't know when, but I'm going to die.
0: Time to make peace because <laughs> yep, it's all over.
1: It's, it's all and- over Some.
0: Yep, and the last one is, uh, it is the moment that Frank realizes who he's dealing with sitting across the table from Richie, and it is that scene is not the same as the Pacino De Niro scene in the diner in Heat, because that was that scene is very much like two dogs circling each other ready to fight Mm -hmm. and this one is not really that same dynamic but it's the same thing that the movie's trying to do which is put them across the table from each other and it was this exchange is when frank has the realization of oh now i know who i'm dealing with yeah what can you promise me richie i can promise you you lie about one name you'll never get out of prison you lie about one dollar one offshore account You'll never get out of prison and you can live life rich in jail for the rest of your blonde days i'll be poor outside for some. that's what i can promise you and it was that's when frank is like
1: all right yeah well. that's when he knows he's beaten it's so he's- it's so good and i know that this is the kind of scene that actors just love Mm -hmm. You know, like acting, acting's a dance. Mm -hmm. It's you playing off your partner and, and making a scene work and you're both working hard to give the right reactions at the right time to be in the moment. And you can't be in the moment if somebody else is off somewhere. So you really got to be, and I just, I could see them. They had to love this scene. They had to love that quiet toned down back and forth. I would have loved to been in the room when they shot this. That oh, just so cool. So cool.
0: In a movie Any, like of so many, many. Oh yeah. In in a movie of so many moments that are just like, man, that was awesome. Or wow, that was effective. That was powerful. That scene puts a bow on all of it and just brings it all yep. to this culminating point. It's it's masterful filmmaking. It's what why I think Ridley Scott is such a good director because he is able to do this type of thing and bring you along on this journey for two and a half hours and have these two powerhouses of actors in the same movie and they they don't interact until two hours and 20 minutes in and then they steal it in the last 20 minutes and it's just it's it's wonderful i loved every second of it and i'm glad that you liked it too
1: loved it absolutely i watched it with stephanie she loved it too it was tough because we didn't realize it was a two and a half hour movie and you know <laughs> we, we only have so much time at the end of it yeah. so i'm like i'm gonna have to watch this in like three days <laughs> Like, I'm watch three. so i'm really glad i started it like tuesday of last week so i had to watch it <laughs> yeah. lunch on tuesday lunch on wednesday in the evening on thursday <laughs> finally got it done <laughs> no it's great
0: now, here's a question that, I, that I'm that i curious about is Stephen today enjoyed this movie. Do you think Stephen in 2007 would have had a similar reaction? Maybe not the same because you're not not exactly the same, but do you yeah. think you would have enjoyed this movie? Can, like, can you put yourself in that frame of mind and think about how you might have reacted to something like this? Or would it have seemed a little boring to you back then?
1: No, I think I would have liked it because I've always been a, a movie nerd and I've always appreciated it. Okay like movies like this i think i got into movies like this when i was 15 or 16 and i started watching like good fellows and or good fellows and pulp fiction and stuff like i started getting into the more you know more got yeah, thinking thinking man's movies to, like i wasn't as detailed but, i mean mm-hmm. i went, I went in college for film i wanted to make stuff like this so I, yeah. i'm pretty sure okay. mine would have. Would have enjoyed this plot and how everything went. Um, there's probably certain things that I notice now and I see now that hit me different than they would have. Sixteen was it? 15 sure. years ago. How long can I do math? Just that about. A
0: November November second will be yeah. sixteen years to the
1: day. Yeah, I was like twenty two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, I would have I would have enjoyed it, but I'm sure my more mature brain uh, picked up on things differently than it would have then.
0: Well, I'm so glad that we got to tick this off your list and, uh, yeah, and watch it. Plus, I mean, I just love talking all sorts of stuff with you anyway. That's why we do it uh, roughly every week on those were the days. Oh yeah. Nice plug. <laughs> <laughs> Which uh, we have, we are uh, starting our private investigator shows month. Uh, so that's going to be so a lot exciting.
1: of fun. So um, I can't wait
0: for that. That is a show that Steven and I do with our friends, Amy Frost and Audie Norman, uh, roughly weekly. Um and uh you can watch live streams of that over at uh twitch.tv slash two dorkstv. Um you can subscribe to it as a podcast anywhere you get your podcast. Those were the days. Uh that's a great show. You also do one sporadically these days, but you have another one, uh horseshoes and hand grenades.
1: Oh yeah. Horseshoes and hand grenades we do. It's on like a weird hiatus, not hiatus, because my co-host has a baby that just Seems to love napping on Thursdays, which is the day that we do the show. <laughs> and if, if he naps, it means that he's up till like 9.30, and that's not going to work. So I keep having deep conversations with him anytime I say, look, kid, I love you. But you have got to stay up on Thursdays so you go to bed at 7. Do you understand? And Don't make mama The worst crazy. part
0: is if you didn't say anything to him and just switched and said, we're going to start recording it on Tuesday nights, just for something yeah, different, he would, just, he would, he would take a nap on Tuesdays.
1: Yeah. He would mess us up on Tuesdays. So anyway, we've had some heart to heart. He's on a performance, <laughs> performance improvement plan. Uh, we're working on it, but we'll be back. good. good. I'm, it's not like I'm closing down the feed. Horseshoes and hand grenades will always be floating in the ether, ready to come back at any given moment. So yeah, that's on Thursdays at nine. If we can ever, if we can pull it off and it's a fun show, it's a good, it's a good romp. Oh, it's people so much like. fun. It yeah. is
0: it is a wonderful show. And if you ever make it to Dragon Con, Steven's there doing panels left and right. You did like how many this year? Oh,
1: yeah. I did 5 panels this year. I shouted us out at all of them. I was like, "Listen to those were the days with my buddies Travis Audie, and Amy. It was good stuff." So um yeah. so yeah, that was that was a blast. I love Dragon Con. Uh and I to- I talked to a lot of people there and they all said, "Where's Travis?" And I said, "I don't know." I'm trying. They all said, Travis belongs here. I said, I know Travis belongs here. We'll get him here. Don't
0: well, worry. I'm the, the plan is to make it work next year. Uh, <laughs> I am, I am in the, uh, I'm in the early, I, luckily I have enough time that I'm in the early planning <laughs> stages of getting it all sorted out. But yeah. Um, but yeah, check out, uh, horseshoes and hand grenades. Go back, listen to some of the older episodes cause they are fun. It, it yeah. is a fun show. The two of you just have a blast. And um, we do. And then, Catch us weekly, and those were the days where we talk old TV. If you like this kind of conversation, this is a lot of what we do. It's just that we also have Audie and Amy there to, to temper it a little bit and be like, guys, guys,
1: they're so good. Let's bring this
0: back to something good.
1: Being in the room with Audie <laughs> and Amy just makes you a better podcaster. That's all I know for
0: really sure. really does. Really yeah. does. Uh, this mm-hmm. show, um, what you haven't seen, I record live Sunday nights uh, right here at uh, twitch.tv slash TV Stravis, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. And it uh, comes out as a podcast on Wednesdays, everywhere you get your podcasts, including YouTube, a uh, video version there. So uh, if, you, uh, if you could drop a, 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 f- a subscription on YouTube, uh, subscribe to the channel there. That helps me out quite a bit. Uh, so I would appreciate that. Um, whether you watch on YouTube or not, just the subscription is super helpful. Um, and uh, there's also a Patreon for this show, patreon.com forward slash WYHS little as a dollar an episode, you get a little bit extra content, monthly movie nights. Um, I'm working on a couple of other projects. There'll be first look stuff there as well. So definitely uh, check that out. If Patreon isn't your thing um, and you do want to support financially, there's also Kofi ko-fi.com slash TV Stravis, or just word of mouth, spread, spread word of mouth, tell people about the show. Um, And I appreciate all of that next week. I have, uh, I'm going to be talking about Killer Clowns from Outer Space. We're getting close to October. So we're we're, we're starting to slide into some of the spooky movies. Um, and I found somebody who's never seen Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Uh, and uh, so Matt Stein is going to come on. We're going to talk about that. And then um, I also have Brian Dunaway coming up soon. Um, he and I are going to watch a movie I'd never heard of before called The Company of Wolves. That's coming up in the next couple of weeks. So definitely come back for those. That's going to be a ton of fun. Steven, thank you so much for being here tonight. Uh, as always, it's a pleasure. And uh, we'll get you back soon because yeah, I never get tired of talking movies with you. It's always fun. It's, it's
1: an absolute blast. Thank you so much for having me, Travis. This was super fun.
0: Excellent. Until next time, remember to enjoy your movies and uh, let's be excellent to each other. This has been wait. You haven't seen.